Thank you for joining us for part two of our extensive conversation with Jules Theodosiu of GFS Solutions. We do hope you enjoy the value and wisdom contained in this second half of our chat and use it as a springboard for your business in 2020. To find out more, keep listening after the intro. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Koch, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week, we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at The Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. I think the problem with new entrepreneurs, and we've all been there, I've been there, when somebody asks you, what do you do? Or who's your client? The first thing you say is everyone. Which is obvious, of course. We all know in in retrospect now, we can all kick ourselves on the backside because at the end of the day, we know that not everybody's our client. And I I had to learn that the very, very hard way that most people, I had to start to look back, basically look at who the clients were, who were the type of people that I actually liked working with, who did I want to work with, who were the people that were going to pay me. Who are the people that are going to be worth it? I mean, because, you know, in, in terms of our, we've evolved in the last few years rapidly because we've had to just realise, I remember having a discussion with my dad and my dad's very, he's quite a progressive guy. He's quite a progressive guy, but he's also very much that sort of, he's got a certain way about him in that very old school Jamaican way. And he goes, what's wrong, son? Because dad said, it's just, you know, sometimes it just gets a bit annoying when you're dealing with people. He said, you know what your problem is, son? You must get the money up front. And I'm thinking, he's got a point. And then I spoke to a friend of mine and she's been a, a guest on the Cashflow show, Lisa Newton, one of the first guests, I think the first guest. And she comes from a West, West Indian background as well. And she had the same discussion with her dad who said exactly the same thing. So I think it's, it's an awareness of if you're not getting that money up front or getting some of that money to cover your costs. Because I do say to my clients, those who can't get the money up front, I said, at least get enough to cover the costs of the people that you're asking. So if you if you need paint in order to paint somebody's house, for God's sake, don't find yourself in a position where your paint supplier is blocked from getting any other work because you haven't paid the paint bill. Get the money for the paint at least. With your labor, it's not good, but the fact is you will learn to get a better quality client after that. But get that money in to cover access to the stuff and the materials you need to do your job. 100%. That's exactly what I said to the IT guy in Pittsburgh yeah. because he physically needs to outlay himself to buy the materials for the IT work, if it's cabling, if it's whatever. You've got staff to pay. Um, yesterday, I took a new client out for lunch. We went to Nando's and, I, you know, we're, we're having a similar type of discussion. I said, well, you know, you've got to, <laughs> yeah, you've got to understand that you dictate how people do business with you. This is a chicken restaurant. Correct. The fact that they say you go to that, you sit down, but then you come up to the front place your order, pay there and then up front. It's just the way you do business with Nando's. Um, one of my clients has been with me for about two and a half years now, tree surgery business, arborists, uh, based in North London and surrounding areas. First thing he said to me when he started working with me was, I want to improve my cash flow, as in I want to smash my cash flow. So we looked at his process. The first thing I said to him was, why aren't you taking deposits? He said, nobody does it in my industry. Okay, great. Be the first. No, 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 I can't. It's, it's going to be met with resistance. I was like, okay, just for the purpose of the conversation, imagine you hate me. Imagine you want to prove me wrong. 
go out and ask 10 of your potential clients, the next 10 that come in, yeah. and see what they say. And I'll eat my hat, whatever you want. I'd like, just I'll prove, prove me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> prove me wrong. So he did it. I said, 25% ask for it up front. It's all about the way you present it, right? Correct. And, you know, aside from that, I said to him, look, you've got to appreciate that as your business grows, and that's what you've just basically said you want me to help you with. I'm telling you now, you've got one team of three with a van and a chipper. As you grow and expand, we're now at three teams of three. Uh, and so what happens if you haven't taken a deposit, you've booked them in, something unforeseen happens in life, which does sometimes, they've got to cancel your team. So now you've got a team of three people. You've got to run a vehicle, a van, a chipper, yeah. and you've got three people's wages for the day. It might have been a two-day job. They've cancelled it. Then what? It's too short notice for you to book someone else in because there's a process with of it. Of course. So why should you lose out? Rather than you've had the deposit, that's covered the things that we've just mentioned, the outgoings, and then you book them in at the next available opportunity. You're running a business. And um, anyway, so I did that at 25, like literally the first 10 people, no resistance at all. He came back like, you know, tail between his legs, but obviously happy. And then I said, okay, cool. So now say it's 50% deposit for the next 10 people. Seven of them said yes. Three of them said no. He's like, Look, I'm more comfortable just doing 25%. Yeah, fair enough. He's been doing that ever since. Cash flow's never been better. I mean, cash flow's never been better after two weeks. But it's just, it's not just that I, I mean, it's very logical. Nothing I say is genius or rocket science, or is it? Well, the thing it, is, it depends how you want to see well, it. Well, it depends how you want to see it. You see, the problem is, is that if somebody is telling you something that seems an impossibility, it's that Nelson Mandela thing is saying, everything is possible and it seems impossible until it's done. And the reality of it is when somebody says to you, if you go to any management consultant, and this is a tip for all you listeners there, go to any kind of management consultant, the first thing they're going to tell you to do is raise your prices. And the first thing you're going to say is, hell no, <laughs> because you don't believe that you can do that. The difficulty for you raising your prices or asking for money up front is if people don't believe in the work that you do or don't believe in you. Because when you buy something from Apple, you're paying up front. When you buy something from, you know, any kind of shop, normally nine times out of 10, you are paying up front. If you want to secure something from Argos, you're paying up front. The reality of it is now is people get your money. Fair enough, you feel you've got a safety net because the credit card company can give you a chargeback or whatever, but the money is leaving your account and it's going elsewhere. Hence, all those people who, that super breaks, being on a couple of those things at the end of the day. And about four weeks ago, they sent through their Christmas brochure and I thought oh this looks interesting <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the other dad picked up and said oh well time to recycle this now <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously they've gone bust now the reality of it is think of all that money because when you're paying for that you're paying up front and I, I said I said you know something guess what all those people paid their hard-earned money up front what did they do with all these people's money what were they doing mismanagement of cash flow complete mismanagement of cash flow complete and it's the same thing back to that patisserie Valerie well, you know, there were bank accounts all over the place. The auditors obviously seemed like they were turning a blind eye. It was just complete madness. I think we've spent a lot of time discussing cash flow, and I think that's really good because it's one of those things that is so important to business. But one thing I wanted to ask you is that you mentioned Andy Harrington. Yeah. And you mentioned that a couple of times, so I get the feeling that's somebody that's inspired you. 100%. Yeah. So tell me about Andy Harrington, how you learned about him, and inform our listeners about how you you got to first hear about him. Yeah, so... Um I mentioned earlier in this episode where, you know, I was at a bit of a crossroads in my mind where I was fed up with people that were making suicidal comments infrequently, mm. but then also more frequently were 
a lot of people that were coming to me and my business were getting divorced, like young couples, you know, young children, two, three, four, five, six years old. You know, and I'm a family man at heart, so it used to break my heart to hear these things. And I appreciate that sometimes divorce is the right thing, but they were arguing about money. And it's very rare that people say or talk about how significant money problems is on the strain of a ma- or creates a strain in a marriage. And I, I was at a, a crossroads thinking, like, I can help these guys. But the problem is they're only coming to me at the 11th hour where there's a bailiff outside. They've got to be a court the next day or, you know, one of their clients has gone bust and it's even too late for someone like you to get involved and help oh, them collect oh, that yeah, debt, right? Definitely. So, uh, like I said, I was on the way to this um, Jordan Belfort conference and then Andy Harrington comes on. He's talking about through this, the art of public speaking, you can attract your ideal clients at the time you can help them the most. I'm thinking, wow, this guy's literally talking to me. So I signed up to his four day uh, course. At the time, it was two grand. It was more than I'd ever spent on anything in my business, let alone personal, professional development. I was so uncomfortable with the process, but it it hit me. It connected with my heart, and I knew I had to do it. So much so that I even went home that night and didn't tell my wife it was 2,000. I told her it was 1,000 pounds. I was still trying to make sense of it in my head, right? And then It's like me when I buy a keyboard. (laughs) I buy a synthesizer. Don't worry, babe, it's not that much. (laughs) So... um, Anyways, that was November 2014. Two months later, I'm on the course and I go I go to this four-day course and it absolutely blows my mind. It, it's not just about how you can become a more professional, effective and efficient public speaker to reach more people, to spread your message, um, to share your advice, but how to build a business around it. I signed up to work with him for the next 12 months. So I got some hands-on coaching from him. For me, he's the best public speaker that I've ever come across. Uh, and I include Tony Robbins in that and uh, all that kind of stuff. And I'm, you know, I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying for me, yeah, of course. it, it resonated with yeah, you. It really connected with me. And it just opened up my eyes to what was possible. And he gave me a five-step plan to follow to start repositioning myself as not the debt guy, not the insolvency guy yeah. as I'd been known for a few years, but more the business growth guy. Yeah, or- because that's a more positive image. And that's, yeah. that's the thing is, I think we've both come from that area where the use of debt and the association with debt is seen as a very, very, very negative thing. Yeah, and also the industry hasn't helped as well. Yeah. Um, it, it's an industry that is falling behind the times. And that was, I'm talking about, it was behind the times 10, 15 years ago. So it's even more so now. But I had this five-step plan. And like a lot of people, uh, especially, you know, new business owners that don't really know what it's like, I procrastinated for a long time. We all do it. And the, the real kick up the arse for me was in, uh, so this was January 2015. I got this five-step plan to implement. Did nothing with it for five months. And at the end of June 2015, our mum was diagnosed with myeloma blood cancer which is incurable, but very treatable. She's doing, she's doing good right now. No, it's really actually her cool. birthday today. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. lovely. She's, she's on holiday in Cyprus at the moment. Okay, cool. And um, so when I found that out, and this was towards the end of uh, June uh, 2015, my wife and I, who was pre- pregnant with our first daughter at the time, we were in Cyprus on holiday. The very next day, I, I implemented step one of that five-step plan on the beach. And step one was literally start putting out short business tip videos on Facebook and on YouTube. Instagram wasn't a thing really no, at the no, time. No. It was just like short videos, two minutes up to say eight minutes, just like 
just tips that there was no call to action. There was no, I wasn't selling anything. I had no business consultancy services that I was offering. I was still doing insolvency work, but I felt like people needed to know how to structure their terms and conditions, at least from a starting point, or how to get money in, or how to um, avoid procrastination and use that example and use myself as the clown in the story to say, look, it took my mum getting diagnosed for me to even do this video. I got a lot of abuse. A lot of people were um, mocking me on social media, taking the, the the piss out of me saying, you know, what have you ever achieved? Who are you to be given advice? Your your videos are unprofessional. You're sitting on the beach, you know, with a, uh, I think it was a Detroit Pistons uh, basketball vest on. All these things. That, but the only thing, and, and I, I'm still quite a sensitive person, but more so then, the thing that got me through was the fact that I felt like if one person sees or hears this video could potentially be suicidal because of business problems, then I've, I'm be doing them a disservice by not going through with this video and not building up thicker skin for myself to deal with this stuff. It, it kind of just escalated from there uh, and working with Andy Harrington. So not only just giving me the opportunity to be a more effective public speaker, building a business around it, giving me the five-step plan, opening my mind up to what's possible. And then through public speaking, it actually improved one-on-one -on -one conversations. So improved sales, speaking in small networking groups, in small groups, boardroom meetings, all of that stuff came from the confidence of public speaking. And so I am incredibly indebted to him. Um, and there's a few others along the way, but he was the most significant. You've seen the light. Your mum's situation has come along and that's hit you hard. But then again, it's not taken a negative turn. It's taken a positive turn. And you focus that energy from that in order to go to public, public speaking. So how did you get your first public speaking gigs? Because there's, there's so many people around public speaking, yeah. literally. How did you get your first gigs? I'm glad you asked this question because what I'm going to say might be a little bit controversial because I actually left Andy Harrington's organisation for this reason, but no, no detriment to him. Mm. Or, or the content or the structure. But what had happened was he'd done wonders for me in terms of, first and foremost, my belief system to then go after and then Im implement this strategy, these these step-by-step -step process. But then what I was surrounded with was a lot of people like me following his system. It felt a little bit uncomfortable for two reasons. So one was I met a lot of people in that community and a lot of these guys were further along in the game than I was, okay. i.e. running their own events. We connected, I connected with a few of these guys and they would invite me to speak at their small events. And there was uh, a couple of events. So in 2016, I spoke at three events. A guy called James DeWan, great guy. Um, he was an electrician for like 25 years, had a few problems in his business, built the business back up. Then his friend had the same sort of problems, helped him build it back up. And then he's transitioned from that to um, stopping the being on the tools, electrical business, to specifically helping electricians with really insightful marketing strategies to get local work and he runs events for electricians so i had the opportunity to speak at three of his events and he so it was him it was myself and two others that were also part of andy's community the problem was is that i was typically the third or the fourth speaker i think it was like i was the third speaker on, on every one of these three workshops one was in um, a hotel near heathrow and then one was in manchester one was in birmingham and then so i really spent a lot of time trying to connect with the audience either before the event, at the event, and then after having a few drinks in the bar. Because for me, it's all about people. It's all about connections, about conversations. And the guys would say, you know what? You know, your session was great, George. However, by the time you came on, we knew exactly what you were going to do and how you were going to do it because I was basically a cookie-cutter version of Andy Harrington like every one of the other speakers, i.e. you move around the stage the same way, you ask 
certain questions the same way, different questions, but the same way you try and get audience engagement in the same way. So that kind of, as great as that was as a learning, it was kind of redundant in that particular context. Of and um, the second part of why I stepped away was I saw a lot of people running their own events or trying to run their own events, but hadn't actually got the results in the real world right. yet. And that didn't sit right with me. And it, it wasn't... I don't mean to make it sound like a judgment. I just didn't want it for me. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to step away from the organization because if I stay there, I'm going to be probably getting a lot more opportunities to speak at events like this, but we're all going to be the same type of speaker, just slightly different content or different content. Exactly, yeah. And then secondly, I want to just step away, spend the next two or three years, just get my head down and just really hone in on my one-to-one -one work with business owners, getting great results, experiencing big problems that I can then help my clients overcome. So then when I am on a stage, I want to be in a position that if any question gets thrown at me, I know what the answer is. I'm not winging it. I'm not like faking it. I've, I've been there in the trenches with my clients and I've solved that problem. Yeah. Um, so that's exactly what I did. And then during that period of time, obviously incredible experiences. Some of our clients are flying. They're dominating their space. Um, multiple video testimonials on our social media platforms. I'm very proud of my clients over the last few years. However, um, I tried and failed to do my own uh, workshops. I didn't have a big enough following yet. And then it just so happens that it coincided with a few other people taking notice because I was just pumping out loads of content, loads of content, adding so much value. Um, most of my clients come from social media. So by the time they come to me, they've been watching me for three weeks or six months, or in some cases, three years, um, and saying, look, now that I've decided that I'm ready to grow my business, not you're the first person I thought of, you're the only person I thought of. So that, so... I've also grabbed the attention of certain people like a guy called Nick James, who's also kind of involved in Andy Harrington's uh, community to an extent, but not in the same way that I was, more as a, as a peer. And um, he has grown his business running um, some incredible events, uh, namely Expert Empires. So when he first launched these in 2017, his headline speaker was Gary Vee. Okay. And then after that, his headline speaker was Lord Sugar. And then after that, his headline speaker was Grant Cardone. And then after that, he did one which was like underground. So it was like underground experts that you might not know about, but they're smashing it in their niche. And I was a delegate there, and that was last November. And then I grabbed his attention. And then this year, he's done uh, one in uh, March where Lewis Howes, if you've heard of a guy called Lewis Howes, um, very big on Instagram, over a million followers. And also a guy called Neil Patel, yeah, who's, yeah, who's seen as a marketing authority. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. Microsoft and these yeah, guys. Yeah, because is that the one that the event that you were about with four people, four, you and three other people? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. so uh, so I was invited to speak as the cash flow expert yeah. on that lineup, mm. and that, uh, and even before that, I mean, I got a client in Miami. He flew me out to Miami. People were seeing me document that on social media. So a lot of more people were, were grabbing, well, I was grabbing their attention and then keeping it. So I was getting a few of these offers to speak at various places. Spoke there uh, with Lewis Howes and Neil Patel and a few other big hitters. And then there was the next one, which was in June, two months ago, with David Goggins, um, who almost broke the internet, uh, especially in America. And so he was a headline speaker, again, with a few others, Shalene Johnson, a few other, you know, uh, big names that these are quite sought after speakers that get flown over for America. They get paid like £100,000 to speak for an hour. Um, so just being able to be around that and, and to see what these guys are like off the stage and what their journey's been and how I can learn from them has just been incredible. But to answer your point, I just stepped back, got my head down, got the results, got the testimonials, was consistent with my social media every day, every day, every day, especially the days that I couldn't be bothered, wasn't feeling well, you know, was tired, whatever. I was like 
posting double the amount of posts on those days. Um, I think that's a, an interesting point that I think a lot of business owners need to take on board is to do the things on the days, especially on the days that you don't feel like it, because it's easy to do it when you're having a great day or it's your birthday or things are flying or whatever. But when when things get I, tough. I think it's the discipline in terms of social media. I think it's the idea that you've got, I mean, if you haven't got a, a marketing person doing it for you and you're doing it yourself, I would always say that Hootsuite or my particular preferences for Buffer, those things are amazing. I remember a friend of mine going to me, oh, did you go on holiday? And I said, why did you ask? Oh, but you were pumping out a lot of content. I said, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. and, and that's the reality of it. And I think if you can do that, then those are the things that, that help you to do it. But as you said, on the days that you don't want to do it are the days when you really need to double down and you say, make that effort. Yep. You've done a lot of work on Instagram. And I just want to have a quick question about that. Why Instagram for you? Because at the end of the day, I know why I like Instagram and I never thought I would like it because I didn't see myself in, in the Kardashian mold or whatever the case may be. But, you know, obviously you and quite a lot of people have done quite well out of Instagram, being able to amplify your message. How did you fall into it as a platform? Okay, so probably I should start this off, this response by saying, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I actually I'm quite active and probably more so active or have been more active on Facebook over the years. Okay. But Instagram, Instagram probably slightly more... Uh, now just because it's quick and easy and the way I see it is something I learned from another one of my mentors a guy called James Lavers who taught me how to be more efficient and effective with my videos so it's taken the public speaking thing to another level because it's a different context and so he taught me something which was that when you're pumping out your advice think of it this way you're solving a small problem like a headache so your tips and your advice are like the aspirin if you keep pumping out aspirins to solve people's headaches every day, every day, every day through your videos, your video tips, they will come back to you or they're more likely to come back to you to solve the migraine. And that's the problem. That, or that's the, that's the, the, the yeah, main thing. I can see right? that logic, yeah. And, and with Instagram, because it's so quick and easy and it's, it's visual more so than a lot of the other platforms, it works really well for that. Um, the other thing I want people to know about Instagram, and don't think that I'm sitting here and just because Clayton's bigged me up a little bit on Instagram, <laughs> I only have about 1,300 followers on, on Instagram. It's not huge at all. However, in my opinion and my experience, you only need about a thousand followers to monetize it really well. And I think you need to, for anyone listening, thinking, oh, well, you know, how am I going to get, you know, even 10,000, let alone 10 million followers? You only need a thousand. And you can do that fairly quickly. Yeah, be you consistent. can. You can. I mean, I'm nowhere near a thousand, as I said, but I, I'm I'm late to the party. Um, Gary V would be very disappointed with me. Um, I'm very late to the party. <laughs> at but least the, you're at the party. Yeah, but at least I'm at the party. Yeah, but my, I'm starting to dance now. So I'm, uh, I'm at the party. However, I haven't put a lot of effort into getting, say, 120 followers or something like that. So if I was really hardcore and I pumped out that content every single day, I mean, for the first few months at the end, I did just one, you know, I did it for one picture, one, one, one networking event every three months. Yeah. And, and then I'd obviously now, as I said, especially with this podcast, it's given me an idea to taking that content and just using a minute from that content in order to give people that one minute aspirin, if you like. Or yeah. that one minute paracetamol to solve that problem that yeah. they've got. So yeah, I mean, as I said, don't get me wrong. What you're saying in terms of it's not a case of bigging you up because I was never a Facebook guy. Facebook right. never, never really worked for me. I could never get any traction or followers on Facebook at all whatsoever. Whereas Instagram has been completely yeah. different. Think of it in this way. So there's etiquette. So let's just say if we, 
if we went and had something to eat at McDonald's, for example, and yeah. we're standing up or sitting on one of the stools, there's a different type of etiquette than if we went to a really nice restaurant where we're going to sit down, yeah, wait to service right, right? So every social media platform has got its etiquette as well. So for Instagram, a really easy way for you to grow, and obviously I'm not sitting here as the expert with like, you know, 100 million followers, but I have been able to monetize it. So to give you some context and to the people listening, I get an average of a an inbound inquiry from either Instagram or Facebook, mainly Instagram, every four days. And that is somebody who's qualified, somebody who's seen some of my stuff, if not a lot of it, and they're basically ready to buy. Um, so the way, the, uh, an easy way to do that, just to get over a thousand people, because then you've got a decent reach, is the etiquette of Instagram is that if you follow, so if you make a list of the types of people that you want to follow, so you mentioned something earlier on in the episode where uh, when you had the conversation with your dad and talking about um, can the people that I'm trying to attract as clients, can they afford my service? Because it's very easy, a lot of marketers say, oh, who's your ideal client and you know what problem do you solve? And I'm a big fan of those conversations. But also ask yourself the the one of the most important questions is, can they afford my service, my products and services? So you you make a list of two or three types of people, types of businesses, and then you go and search for those guys, especially in your local area if you're a geographical business and or you can't do business you know, in a further field. And then you follow them. The etiquette is they'll follow you back. Yeah. right? So that's how you, you get not just any old followers, but people that... Specific to your... You've got their attention a little yeah. bit. And then going back to when they come to your profile, you want to be pumping out content. So... You want to be highlighting, let's say, the five biggest problems that that particular target market will have or the five biggest questions that you get asked. And that's the the, the spine around your content. So for me, I typically work with a lot of trades and construction business owners. So a lot of my content will be around how to never have to reduce your prices to compete, which a lot of people do with local plumbers, electricians, etc. How to start building up predictable, profitable cash flow because they've got up and down cash flow. How to systemize your business to be able to come off the tools so you're not 50, 60 years old as a plumber on your hands and knees, arthritis, etc. Right? Yep. And then how to build your business in a way that actually is not only scalable, but also valuable. So if you wanted to sell it one day, you're not going to sell it for 20, 30, 40, 50 grand like a lot of the trades business owners that I've come across that are approaching retirement age, you can sell it for 150, 300, a million, because it's got intellectual property, it's got a subscription model, it's got maintenance contracts, it's got, it's got value. This is probably a good time to pause for a word from our sponsors, and we will be right back after the break. Bad debtors can rob you of your time and money. They can destroy your whole business within weeks. Archaic debt collection agencies and expensive legal fees will drain your cash flow. But in one day, the PRMS Business Debt Prevention Course will teach you how to create late payment management procedures, invoice for immediate settlement, and eradicate existing debt. You'll study real-life examples to drag your business out of the red. Visit www.prmsltd.co.uk or call 0203-865-7138 to register now before bad debtors make your business another failed statistic. Everything that you say is absolutely spot on. But I think the tip for plumbers, electricians and tradespeople, do you know why a lot of them actually end up losing clients? Just not turning up. If you're a type of person and you're a tradesperson and you'll just say you're a plumber and you're known for turning up and I had a leak in my house at the beginning of the year and we've got a lady plumber, a Joe, her name, Joe the Plumber. 
And basically, I'd and love to meet her. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's brilliant, and she's come now. She turns up. She said, "Listen, you know, this is what's happened. This is the problem." And I said, oh, how much do I charge? She just said, listen, you know, I couldn't do anything major. Just give me a drink out of it. Cool. And she goes, but if you want it fixed, this was in February. I'll be available in July. That's huge. <laughs> That's so impressive. It's mega impressive. And I'm no plumber. I thought to myself, damn, I need to get into this plumbing business, man. Yeah. Because this, I just thought, whoa, you know, this is I'm February, January, February, and you won't properly be available to July. Yeah. Madness. So I'm glad you said that as well, because I, I got asked last week, actually, I, I hosted a meeting. There was a group of trades guys in my office. And um, one of the guys said, you know, why is it you want to work with trades? so much. And I said, well, there's a few reasons, actually. Number one is I'm the opposite of a handy person around the house. And I find what you guys are able to do fascinating, mm. if I'm honest with yeah. you. That's the first point. The second point is I just really know how to help these guys based on the fact that not just in my capacity as a business consultant helping trades business owners, but also when I was in my insolvency days, 25% oh, over, yeah. the, over the last two decades, 25, 25% of all insolvencies were trades and construction related, which meant just by default, statistically, I was dealing with these types of businesses more. So I, I saw the problems every day, every day, every day for years. I said, aside from that, and here's the real crux of it, is that the bar of expectation is so low for tradespeople. They're not going to turn up. If they do, they'll be late. Uh, they're going to look scruffy. Um, they're going to, you know, if I give them my money, what if they run off with it? Are they going to do a good job? Are they going to be, you know, all of these things. My guys, the guys that have been working with me for even a matter of weeks, let alone months and years, they're efficient with their marketing. When they get an inquiry and they book a quote visit in, you're going to get a confirmation text message or email the night before if it's a morning appointment or the morning if it's an afternoon appointment, they'll tell you who's turning up in the, from the company, even if it's a one-man band. There'll be a picture of them there just for security reasons. They're going to turn up with a sign-written vehicle. They're going to have clean polo top with their accreditations. With They're going to have a name badge on. When they come in, you're going to be greeted with a smiley face. Even if you say to the, my guys, oh, don't worry about taking your shoes off. We're going to change the carpet next week. They're taking their shoes off or they're going to pull out a, a box, a packet of uh, shoe covers. They're going to be explaining the work that they've done once they've finished. They're going to be um, asking any question, answering any questions that you've got. They're going to be sending out, uh, asking you for a recommendation if you're happy. They're going to be sending out a feedback form, or they're going to have someone else call you up, um, whether it's a VA or someone else that yeah, you know, yeah. to say how, how was, was it? it? What else could we have done better? It's just a completely different experience. Course, even you just telling me it's a complete... I'm thinking, where are these people? Because the thing is, the guys that do this, they will get money beyond belief. They're they the guys be, that are booked up. Yeah, those are the guys that will get rich. When people say, oh, you know, once upon a time, you said 30, 40 years ago, you couldn't be rich. Now you can be rich becoming a plumber because getting a plumber or an electrician or a builder, the amount of cases I get, somebody ringing me up saying, oh, I've had this problem with my builder. Okay, what's the problem? Oh, well, this is the situation. And my wife did this. Hold on. So your wife is dealing with the builder. You're dealing with the builder. Who's who? What's what? You need to speak to your wife first. Oh, I don't want to do that. How can I help you? But the problem is, is that... Builders is more specifically than anybody else. Once they get their act together, and if they can get their act together, they can make an absolute fortune. Yeah. 
Exactly right. There's money to be made, so much money to be made. It's amazing. And I feel like even more so now. So, yeah. you know, I can't see into the future, but I look at these things and obviously I've got an insolvency background. You know that world yeah. very well as well. <clears throat> we started off talking about Brexit before we went live. Yeah. And the way I see it is, look, Brexit or not, you want to position yourself as the go-to person in your in your field, right? But let's just say worst case scenario, right? Brexit happens. What does that mean? We don't have any immediate point of reference to say, oh, well, the last time we went into Brexit, this happened. We don't know that. But so when you've what we do know is unknown. So when you've got unknown, typically a lot of people will will um, will retract. They won't spend as much money. So instead of buying that next big house, correct, and getting a bigger mortgage when they they're not hundred percent sure whether they they might be made redundant because their their company they work for is going to be downsizing or making redundancies or whatever, or if they're a business owner, they're thinking, well, I'm not sure how things are going to go, so I'm not going to spend as freely. We're not going to go and get that bigger house. Instead, we want and need a bigger house. We're not going to go and get that bigger mortgage. Let's build an extension, a loft conversion, etc. Builders will come into that. You know, aside from that, you're going to have a situation where people are going to be questioning everything. So I see it when you've got um, the unknown, which might then lead on to a recession because everyone's going to be more tight with their money, that as a consumer, you're going to categorize Every business that you spend your money with, every company, every restaurant, everywhere, is this a luxury or is it a necessity? And that's typically where you'll see in a recession, you'll see businesses like garden maintenance companies, car wash companies, a lot of these guys will fall first because people will be like, I'll wash my own car, I'll cut my own grass. But then you have the other, the next flock of businesses that will be able to hold on because they've got a cash buffer or they've positioned themselves, you know, all that kind of stuff. So as a builder, now's the time, as a tradesperson in general, now's the time to be really positioning yourself as the go-to expert for that particular, whether it's fault finding if you're an electrician or whether it's lofts if you're a builder, positioning yourself as not just the loft expert, but the loft expert in this particular area that has significant amount of listed buildings or because there's a different type of business owner or builder that will deal with those, right? So there's opportunities there. I, I don't subscribe to, oh, Brexit, it's all doom and gloom. Yeah, obviously it's going to be difficult, but why don't you, you, I, everyone get better rather than wish it Correct. was easier? Of course, exactly. And that's a good point. What is your advice to anyone thinking of starting in business? Great question. I think you just need to go back to the point that we spoke about earlier about just keeping it as simple as possible. So yes, all you're focusing on is solving problems for people in an efficient manner for the most profit. So as a new business, and this could be applicable for the first year, the first two years, the first five years, but all you need to focus on is getting clients and getting money in the bank. That's it. Don't worry about logos. Don't worry about fancy websites. Don't worry. I had a conversation with, I mean, in my insolvency days, I had a website. When I was transitioning five plus years ago, I had a debate slash argument with a guy who said to me, look, George, you're, you're never, ever going to be able to build a consultancy business if you don't have a website. Out of stubbornness, <laughs> I still to this day do not have a website. Now, interestingly, when I say to people that have these types of conversations with me and like, oh, I can't believe you haven't got a website. It's a bit unprofessional, isn't it? My response is, how much business are you getting from your website? Because my, uh, why would someone go onto a website for information, for contact details, for credibility, to buy? Now, I get inquiries from Facebook, from Instagram, from Twitter, from YouTube, from all of these places, which is online. They can get the information, mainly Instagram and Facebook. They can get the information they need. They can get my contact details. They reach out to me. And I mean, with the things that you can do on Facebook these days, schedule appointments, you can call to actions, link, links to landing pages, all this kind of stuff. 
it's all there ready of course just same thing with like um, google my business you know exactly. you can do all of that on there as well yeah, so i you mean you get a free website yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah yeah basically on google my business it is a free website i mean it's actually a very very powerful tool and one that i recommend because the fact is it allows you to put your opening hours your pictures your 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 your, your what your T- terms of business are you can put anything that you want on there and you know going back to websites it's very funny that you should mention that because a couple of weeks ago I, I took a call from somebody and I, I try not to take that many calls now only for the simple reason I realized that when I first started I would meet everybody anywhere take a call everywhere and realize a lot of it was a complete waste of time so as a consequence of that I'm a bit more selective now and I'm not just going for coffee with everybody there's got to be some sort of agenda we've got to be able to help each other 100% agree right So now this guy I've known him and I've been getting his newsletter for years and whatever but never actually met him was supposed to meet him at the business show nice guy and this is not a diss to him if he he might be listening but the fact is is that he called me up And I thought, oh, he's just calling up to say hello, having a social chat, but can I have a chat for five minutes? I'm thinking, okay, I I feel like I know you, blah, blah, blah. We start the conversation and about seven minutes in, he starts to try to sell me a website. And I'm thinking, my man, (laughs) this was a a conversation because I've been getting your newsletter in and out for how many years and I didn't see you at the business show, so I thought I'd have the courtesy to have a conversation. And he starts trying to sell me this website and... I've got a website, but the fact is I know that I'm selling late payment, I'm selling debt recovery, I'm selling debt collection. You ain't going on there to see pictures of, you know, Kylie Minogue. It, it, it's a basically a business website. I'm not expecting to get business from that. I'm expecting for people to validate me, to know that it exists, that the, 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 the business exists, that it's got recommendations and it's got referrals and it tells you what the terms of business are and, and so on and so forth. And I think, as you quite rightly said, you're getting your business and people are quite happy dealing with you. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc., etc., as long as they can get hold of you. Now, the thing is, even back in the day, if you'd have said that to me 10 years ago, I'd say, oh, you need a website. But I think most websites basically end up never being used. Yeah. I, you know, I, when you say to people, how much business are you actually getting? How much money are you making from your website? They go quiet. Yeah. The, the, if, if, if you are having a website done or considering it, you have to ask yourself this one question. Is your website going to be there to either, one, be there for credibility and for information, or two, to generate inquiries, or three, to make sales there and then. And any one of those responses for any one of those three avenues is a completely different website. Correct. So you need to decide what it is that you want. Um, Everything that I do online is geared towards generating inquiries. But at the same time, going back to your, your guy, the website designer, he hasn't built any rapport really. He hasn't seen, like he hasn't added any value. He hasn't, um, solved a headache through an aspirin yet, you know, to then come for you to then go and, and say, like, can you well, but solve that, my... That was the problem. My... Because I think, as I said, I think he's a nice guy and I still think he's a nice guy, but I think he completely misjudged what I was looking for at that particular time. Yeah. Maybe in six months' time, I might want to do that. But the fact is, is that for you to then jump in and make the assumption, well, your website's looking a bit dated. It probably is. You know, you make your living doing websites. You want to sell me a website for 4,200 quid. Will I get 4,200 quid's worth of value straight out of it? No, I'm not. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to need to maintain it. Who's going to maintain it? How much is that going to cost? Who's going to do that? I need to send people there. 
Just because you've got a website, it doesn't mean... <laughs> exactly. I could just... open up a jerk chicken shop across the road. Yeah. It doesn't mean that people are going to go yeah. past it. They'll say, I never knew there was a jerk chicken shop there. <laughs> it's like when people say, I'll oh, build it and they'll come. Yeah. No, like build it and then send people there, direct yeah. people there. You know? <laughs> so let me try to get a few more questions in before I wrap up for today. I don't know if you managed to get into the questions of your favourite film, book and, and so I did, yeah. Okay, good. Excellent. Because this, this always throws people. So... What's your favourite film and why? Okay, so favourite film uh, is actually The Godfather, part one. Okay, this has come up before. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and this is why. So I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. Yes, it's, it glamorises, oh, yeah. you know, organised crime and stuff. And, and, you know, it's very enticing and, and whatever. And they, they romanticise it. But aside from that, there's other key things that I've taken from it. And, and it's my favourite film because I've, I've seen that film more than any other film uh, in my life. I'm a family man at heart. It's it's the it's the core of everything that I do. And there's a really strong family element to that film on a couple of different levels. Obviously the real family and then the mafia family. Yeah. And what comes with that is the loyalty, which I'm a big fan of. And then also things like structure. Because a lot of this stuff, although I've only been in business myself for eight years. You know, I sold push pops and, and cigarettes at the age of 11 and 12, getting other people to buy me cigarettes and selling them at school and things like that, or selling um, mobile phones that were a bit damaged in college and, um, and like, uh, trainers that had, like, a slightly wrong stitch that couldn't be sold in the shops. I'd get those factory faults. You know, so those kind of things, I've always enjoyed the, like, the hustle and bustle oh. of, like, getting something and selling it, whatever. And then I didn't realise until a lot later on in life, but structure so if you think about the structure of these organized crime families of course the loyalty the the basically giving yourself to the family right if you flip that into a business situation how many businesses have an actual organizational chart where everyone knows exactly what they're doing who their senior is what their roles are targets appraisals um, and you're never going to as a business owner you're never going to have someone love your business as much as you do but you can get pretty close yeah and this is the way you do it so how do you create and this is something i specifically help my clients with as well is how do you create create this feeling like a soldier in the mafia who's just been inducted mm -hmm. that gives their life to that company how do you create something similar like that in the business right so you've got to have a vision that is bigger than you and your business. You've got to have mission statements that like people can live by every single day and core values that that your team resonates with. And then there's certain other things like you show that there's progression in the company. You show recognition and that people are valued. You create bulletproof processes that people can follow, but you don't treat them like monkeys that they're just following a checklist. You allow them to be autonomous within it so that they feel like they can actually think for themselves. You create accountability. You create structure in a way where you've got appraisal. So like, this is what you're great at. Here's what you can improve on. Here's some targets for the next three months. How can I, as the business owner, support you to reach those targets for you to get that result that you're happy with? Because the result isn't the money. Most people think, oh, people are just driven by money. It's not. Someone might have a dream to own a Harley Davidson or take their mum to Vegas for the first time or to buy their first house. Focus on that as the target. Visually, you know, strategically, everything. It also shows you other stuff like corruption as well. It opens up your eyes to that kind of thing. But also... We touched on, on this earlier, but the metaphors that were involved in that film, how you can apply them to business as of well. Of course. So, totally. for example, if somebody is involved with organized crime and the mafia or whatever, you've got to say, well, look, you understood the terms, right? You understood what, what you're up against and you 
agreed to those terms. If you're going to start your own business, you better be aware of what's what's in store for you. We spoke about the rejection, the late nights, the overdraft, the this, the that, you know, the feeling lonely. You better be aware of all that stuff. So that's why for me, that film was like, was just hit me on a few different levels. Yeah, it's and it's a great film for that. It, to me, it is the ultimate business analogy film. I think that's a, a very good choice. So let's go into your favourite book. Favourite oh. book, um, again, ties into some of the things I've already said. So a, a book called Passion Into Profit. Okay. And the author is none other than a Mr. Andy Harrington. Okay. And very simply is because he was, I've had a few different mentors. He was one of the most significant. And his book is like just me carrying that around with me all the time uh, in its teachings. And it just, it was just a different version of obviously spending time with him, hearing him speak, present, you know, him giving me coaching strategies and step-by-step plans, but then also having that in a book format as well. Um, and seeing maybe some stuff that he put out there for people that had never come across him before. So then I saw a different element to his teachings as well. Excellent. And lastly, what is your favourite album or single? <laughs> okay. So um, was, it, it's Life After Death. What, Biggie? Biggie. Okay. Biggie's my favourite, not just rapper, but musician. Just okay. group him. Right. For a few different reasons. Number one is I was just incredibly impressed with the fact that he... After a certain point, like very early on in his career, and obviously, as we all know, his career was uh, unfortunately very short-lived, but he never wrote stuff down. For me, he's the ultimate lyricist. And for me, that did a couple of things. Number one, it taught me about being the best in your space because he's the ultimate lyricist. He never wrote stuff down. And then that kind of transitions and segues into the next part, which is always be ready. So he was always ready to jump in a booth and just just do it. So in my mind, You've always got to be ready. If somebody says at a drop of notice, come and do the podcast, bang, I'm doing it. If someone says, I've got a slot, come and do this presentation, happened to me last week, bang, I'm ready. As a business owner, you've always got to be ready to sell, but appreciate that not everyone's ready to buy just because you're ready to sell, but you've always got to be ready. And it's... Um, and there's a couple of there's a couple of obviously some of the tunes are like uh, proper hits in terms of like really catchy, but there's also one called the Ten Crack Commandments. Yeah. On the album, which again, for me, was just the way that you could just flip that into business was just incredible. So, for example, he starts off saying, uh, numero number uno from the Ten Crack Commandments is, um, never let no one know how much dough you hold. So, you know, typically, again, negotiation isn't spoken about a lot in business. But when you're negotiating, especially in the line of work that you or I have been involved in the exactly. past, negotiating with creditors or this or getting money in, you don't want to... You want to make sure that you you know what your leverage is and what your limit is and what someone else's leverage is over you and what your limit is. So you don't want to let people know how much money you've actually got. Exactly, um, exactly. Like who you can trust. Um, money and blood don't always mix. Getting into business <laughs> yeah, yeah, with, yeah, with yeah. family members. Yeah, yeah. All these kind of things, like never get high on your own supply. So don't go out and spend all yeah. your cash flow knowing full well that you've got things that you've got to manage moving so for me it was those kind of things but just done in a really catchy way but also from a guy who for me was just how can this guy go out and just just bang out tune after tune album after album without writing anything down for me that was so impressive yeah and and i have to say as i said he's you know everybody's got their top five rappers at the end of the day as soon as you hear biggie you know it's him there's nobody like him. There'll be nobody um, uh, to follow him. He's just, he is just there. Uh, probably like millions of people on this planet. I'm just, I'm daily, I'm gutted that we never got to see how his career would have played out. Exactly. Yeah, and what he would have done. And then, as I said, he would have done some great things. There's no two ways about it because he was willing to take chances. So, George, 
Well, that's a marathon discussion. This is the longest thing I'm gonna. I'm sure I'm gonna have to split this into two parts. So if you're hearing the second Listen, part, hopefully now. we've added so much value there. So <laughs> yeah, but there is there has been a lot of value. Do you know something? Now we need to give people the opportunity to contact you. So where can people find you? Okay, so you can uh, reach me on Instagram. Uh, so my Instagram handle is GFS, as in Golf Foxtrot Sierra underscore solutions you can find me on facebook george theodosiu or again gfs solutions uh, those are the two main ways uh, ultimately i'm like i'm more than happy to give my time to people you know they, you can book a free business call through those avenues as well on the call Excellent. to action brilliant thank you very much for joining us it's been fantastic having you and i'm glad to see your progress after all this time it really so it's really you. uplifting really uplifting. thank you thank you very much well thank you for listening to another episode of the cash flow show if you've enjoyed what you've heard today and would like to hear more then please subscribe via your chosen podcast provider and you will be notified when a new episode is released if you wish to like comment leave a message or follow us on social media please do as we would love to hear from you so until the next time take care from everyone at the cash flow show goodbye